chapter 4. We've been teaching on the subject of the promises of God, and today we're going to read one of the most uh, quoted promises of the scripture. Uh, we'll, get to, we'll get to it down uh, in verse 19. But I want us to look at, uh, beginning at verse 10, to get the full context of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now, just so that you understand a little bit, when Paul writes these words, he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi. He's writing it from a prison cell. He's writing it from a jail. And he was imprisoned for the ministry of the gospel. And this epistle is an epistle of joy. It's the main theme of this epistle is joy. Now, you say, how can a man have joy in prison? Well, Paul had discovered the source, the wellspring of life, and that is the spirit of the living God. And so with that in mind, he writes and he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, indeed you were concerned for me, but lacked opportunity. Now, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus that which you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And there we have this gracious promise of God's provision, which we'll be talking about this morning. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your presence among us. We thank you for the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And now as we come to the living word, I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of God and also to anoint this congregation to receive the word of God sown into fertile soil. We ask this in Jesus' name and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. We find here one of the often mentioned promises of the Bible, the promise of divine provision, the promise of divine supply. Psalm 23 contains this promise, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How many of you believe that? In Matthew 6, 32, Jesus said, the Gentiles strive after all these things, the things they'll wear and eat and so on. And he says, but your heavenly father knows that you have need of them, and this even before you ask. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the apostle Paul says, do not disregard the riches of God's kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, for do you not realize that God's kindness leads us to repentance? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, the Bible says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So you can see that all throughout the scripture, we have this promise of God's provision, which Paul sums up in this often quoted verse of scripture by saying, And God will supply all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so this morning I want to explore this promise with you 
I want us to understand the conditions of this promise. As I have mentioned to you, every promise in the Bible comes with a condition. And uh, some things, sometimes people struggle with that. But the reality is that everything that God offers to man requires something of us. God offers salvation free to man, and yet it costs him a great cost. Our, our, our condition is that you and I should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can obtain the promise of salvation. And so here now we hear this promise of abundant provision from God, and we understand that there are certain conditions which are ascribed along with that promise. But first, let's understand what Paul understands about God. First of all, Paul understands that God is not broke. Say amen, somebody. He says that God, in, the, uh, in, Ephes in Ephesians chapter 1, he says that God is blessed forever. And this is a reference to the uh, provision or the, uh, the magnificence of God and the, uh, the uh, sufficiency of God in himself. God is blessed forever. God doesn't need anybody to help him. He doesn't need our, our resources. He doesn't need our money. He is the all-sufficient and self-sufficient God. In the book of Haggai, he said to the nation of Israel, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. God is the owner of every natural resource. He is the creator of the universe, and as such, he knows no lack and he said in the book of Isaiah, if I were hungry, I would not ask you. And if I needed advice, I would not come to you. He expresses himself as the God who needs nothing. The God of all sufficiency. And it is revealed here in, the, in, the, in verse 19 that this sufficiency comes to you and I through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, through his riches in Christ Jesus. The, the believer can obtain and access the provision of God only through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you ever receive from God, you'll have to receive through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you have not prayed in this way before, but from now on when you pray, ask in my name. That's the name of Jesus. And whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give to you. And so we understand that all the riches of God are available to the believer only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. And so we have this promise here, and he says that my God shall supply all of your needs. Now, if you understand the context which we just read, Paul is in a, a Roman prison. He's been in prison for the sake of the gospel. And he is, uh, he is writing to the church at Philippi, and he comes to this portion of his letter, and he tells them, thank you. Basically, he's thanking them for the offering that they had sent to him previously to help meet his financial needs, to make sure that he was well-fed and well-clothed even in the midst of this prison experience. And he writes to them these words, and he says to them uh, that he has uh, a great interest in their offering, not because of the benefit that it will bring to him, and not because he wants them to send him another offering, but rather because of the benefit that it will bring to them. That by giving, by sharing in his ministry through their financial gifts, that there will be a benefit that is going to return to them. The reality is this, friends, that you will never outgive God. God is a giver. He's been a giver longer than you and I will ever even imagine uh, being givers. And he uh, has uh, provided a means by which you and I can experience uh, his provision in our life. And he wants us to join with him uh, in his ministry and his work. He wants us to invest in what he invests in and love what he loves. And so Paul says there's a great benefit in learning to be a giver. There's a great benefit in learning to share in the gospel work and the gospel ministry. And so he says, you know, in the past you uh, wanted to give but didn't have an opportunity. But now you've had an opportunity and you have given to me. And he says, even at one point, you were the only church that uh, supplied my needs through giving and receiving. You're the only church that invested in my ministry and in my life. And so, Philippians, because of your generosity 
And because of your support of the gospel work, my God shall supply all of your needs. So Paul is teaching us there that the condition for receiving the provision of God is to join with God in his purpose and in his work in our world through giving and receiving. And so this morning I want to talk about some of the laws that God has established in his word concerning uh, this provision which he has made available to us. So that every single person in this house this morning and in this church at large can experience the, uh, the uh, provision of God in every aspect of their life. Here's the fact. And this is law number one. And it is the law of the giver. Uh, this law is, uh, is, teaching, is uh, teaching us to have the heart of God. And the law of the giver is simply this. It's, uh, it's uh, spoken in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. There the Bible says, Paul speaking there to the Corinthians, he says, Remember that whoever sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now let's just leave that verse there in our mind for a moment and think about what Paul is teaching us here. He's teaching us the law of the giver. How many of you know that God is a giver? The Bible said that God so loves the world that he gave. God expressed his love toward us by giving. He expressed his love toward us by giving us the greatest treasure that heaven had. That was his son, Jesus Christ. And this gift has brought a salvation and life and transformation to our world and is still doing so today. This morning, if you have not received the gift of God, through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not given Jesus Christ your heart, I would encourage you to do that this morning. There is no decision more critical in your life than to give Jesus uh, your life and to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Because, friend, if you die without Christ, you'll go into an eternal hell. But if you will give your life to Christ, you'll not only enjoy eternal life after death, but you will experience the abundance of life today and experience the joy of walking with God and knowing God as your father. And so God is a giver. And he wants us to be givers like him. And here's the law of the giver. It's very simple. Just follow this with me. You reap what you sow. Say amen, somebody. If you plant tomatoes, you get tomatoes. You don't get apples. You don't get cucumbers. You don't get pumpkins. You get tomatoes. You reap what you sow. If you sow love, you reap love. If you sow hate, you reap hate. If you sow unity, you'll reap unity. If you sow division, you'll reap division. It's a real simple law. We all know it. We all experience it in daily life. You reap what you sow. The other part of the law is this. You reap what you sow, and you reap what you sow later than you sow. So you never get what you plant today, tomorrow. There's, it takes time. The Bible said it's seed, time, harvest. That's in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, from the uh, beginning of time, God established this law. Seed, time, harvest. You reap what you sow later than you sow. So you won't get it today. You won't get it tomorrow, but you will get it. Say amen, somebody. And so somebody said what goes around comes around. And uh, it comes around sooner or later. So if you want to have a constant harvest of God's provision in your life, you need to be constantly sowing. There needs to be a constant investment in the good things that God is doing around you and in your life. And then the last part of the law is this. You reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap more than you sow. And so he says if you reap tomatoes, if you plant tomatoes, you reap tomatoes, you reap tomatoes later than when you planted them, and you'll get more tomatoes than you planted. You will plant one seed and you'll get many tomatoes. And so God says if you reap a, a love, you'll reap a lot of love. If you sow a joy, you'll reap a lot of joy. If you sow uh, and invest money into the kingdom of God, you'll receive abundance of, of provision uh, in your life. And so this principle of the sower is taught here by Paul. And here's what he says. If you sow sparingly, you will reap also sparingly. If you sow bountifully or generously, you will reap also generously. Now, I want us to look at these two Greek words that Paul uses here. The word sparing 
and the word generous or bountiful. The word sparing, uh, and both of these words don't have anything to do with amounts. Uh, and God is not as interested in the amount that you and I give or in the, uh, in, in the size of what we sow. God is interested in the quality of the motive behind what we're doing. And so both of these words deal with motive. He says, if you sow sparingly, that word sparing is referring to this uh, as an example. Someone uh, asks you for, for help and, uh, or, uh, or asks you for, for some financial help. And you think to yourself, if I give this money, I'm going to be short at the end of the month. Or I'm going to be lacking tomorrow. Or if the pastor's receiving a special offering and you say, well, I would give this much, but I I'm afraid that I might be short later. And so this is what it means to reap sparing, to, to reap, uh, to, I should say, to sow sparingly. That you sow with a calculation. That you sow wondering whether or not this is a good thing and, and whether or not actually God will meet your need. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, God uh, tells his people not to do this. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a, a law. It was the law of the, of the Shemitah, or the law of the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, all debts were canceled. How many of you would like that law to come back? And so every seven years, uh, debts were canceled. And uh, so God says, if someone comes to you, one of your brothers comes to you and says, let me borrow $1,000. And you look at the calendar and you say, oh, it's the sixth year of the seven years. So I, if he doesn't pay me back by next year, he's gonna, I'm going to have to forgive the debt. And then I'm going to be out all this money. I don't know if I want to do that. And God says, don't think like that. He says, don't let any base thought come into your mind. And that word base thought is a low thought. God says, when you think like that, you're thinking low. And the very next phrase says, he says, don't think like that. I am your God. So what's he saying? He's saying, uh, don't be sparing in your giving, thinking about whether or not God will actually come through for me uh, or, or God will actually supply this particular need in, in my life. He says, rather have this thought. And now we use the word generosity or abounding. And this word refers to giving for the benefit of another. Giving in order to advance the specific purpose of God in your life. And so you have two options when it comes to giving. You can either give and hold back or you can give with an, uh, an open hand toward uh, or to benefit the kingdom of God and to benefit people in need in your life. Which of those is more like God? Which of those reflects God best? Obviously, it's generosity. Listen, none of us wants to come to God and say, God, here's my need. I got this unexpected bill. Uh, my taxes went up. Uh, all of these things are, are coming up on me at the same time. I need your help. We don't want God to say, well, you know, I would, but it's the sixth year of a seven-year cycle, and I don't want to lose out on this deal. And none of us wants God to do that. Say amen, somebody. What do we want God to do? We want him to say, yes, mijo, how much do you need? And cut you a check right there, right? That's, that's what we expect from God. And that's good because that's what God is like. He's not broke. Say amen, somebody. He can and will supply. He wants us to have the same generosity, the same heart, because we're his children, because we represent him. He said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, again, uh, speaking from Deuteronomy, he says, when you have come into the promised land, and I've given you houses you didn't build, and wells you didn't dig, and vineyards you didn't plant, he said, remember that it was the Lord who gave you the power to make wealth, so that he might establish his covenant with you. Now listen very carefully to that. He said, I gave you the power to make wealth. I gave you the power to receive Abundance, why? So that you could establish my covenant. So that you could do my work in the world. So that you could establish my ministry, my purpose in your generation. That's what this is all about. God wants us to have his heart 
so that we can establish his covenant and his kingdom in our life and in our world. Listen, when you send your children off to school, you dress them well, you feed them well, you make sure that they, that they are a pre presentable. Why? Because they are your kids. And you want those people at school or in, in the public to know that you take good care of your children and that you are well and amply supplied. And guess what? You're God's children. And God says, I want my people to live like me and to operate like me. And I want them to wear my blessings so that when the world looks at them, they can know that it does pay to serve God. That serving God is not for nothing. And that God takes good care of his children. That God wants to establish his covenant through your life and through my life. And this church has been an example of this fact. And all throughout um, the history of this church, it's been a very generous church. And in the years I've been here, I have seen you generously respond to this law, the law of the giver. And, I, and so I'm not telling you this because, you know, the church is short on finances and we need some money. That's not the, that's not the purpose of this. I'm not telling you this so I can twist your arm so you can give a little more this afternoon. All right, none of that. I'm, I'm telling you this because God wants us to have his heart. He wants us to look like him and to operate like he operates and to be able to do the things that he has commanded in our generation. Now, some of you weren't here uh, 12 years ago, but uh, if you can, if those of you who were, you might remember that way back then we used to have a plate sale every Sunday morning after church. And a lot of churches, they operate like that. They exist on fundraising because the, the money is short and the bills are high and the people don't, uh, don't give. And one day I, I shared with the executive board, I said, look, I, I don't see that in the New Testament. I said, how about this? Let's get rid of all the bake sales and, and, uh, or the uh, fundraisers, and let's just teach the people to give and to tithe. And, uh, and God will do what he's promised to do. And we stopped, we stopped all of that. We have one or two very uh, 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 few fundraisers throughout the year. And uh, the fact is that we don't exist anymore on fundraisers. Amen, somebody. You ought to be happy because if not, you have to leave the service early to go make sure the beans are ready and, and get the tortillas uh, cooked. All right. So yeah, this is the, the fact. A lot of churches exist this way because they haven't learned the law of the giver. But you've learned that law. Say amen, somebody. And so we have seen God meet all of our needs as a church because we simply did things his way. We operated within his law. Now, one day we decided we needed to renovate this sanctuary. You guys remember those really long blue pews? And some of them, if you sat on one end, the other would go up, kind of like a seesaw. And so we decided it's time to renovate. And we need $50,000. Where are we going to get $50,000? That's a lot of tamales. That's a lot of plate sales, right? Well, uh, I said, Lord, what do we do? Because normally when you raise that kind of money, you have to say, you know, okay, who can donate 1000 and who will pledge and so on and so forth. But that, that time I prayed and the Lord said, just tell the people to give as much as I tell them to give. And not a dollar more or a dollar less. Just everyone give as much as God tells them to give. And within three offerings, we received the entire budget for the renovation of the sanctuary. Say amen, somebody. You were a part of that. You did that. Come on. Because of the law of the giver. And how many of you have seen God bless your home? Has God blessed your finances? So we know by experience what Paul is talking about. That you can't outgive God. And this law of the giver, friends, is not just about money. It's about time. It's about attitude. It's about how you treat one another in your marriage. It's about how you uh, treat your boss at work. What you plant, you will reap. So be careful what you plant. Be careful what you sow because you will receive more of that in return. Now here's another law. It's called the law of the first. This is found in Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. And in Leviticus 27 30, God talks about the tithe. And he says, thus all the tithe of the land 
of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. Holy to the Lord. Now God says the tithe, that's the first 10% of our income. And, uh, and he says the tithe is holy. Everyone say the tithe is holy. Now this is very important to understand. Holy means it's set apart, it's consecrated to God. This is a, a law that cannot be violated. God uh, has said the first 10% of the land belongs to me. Now listen, you, you can give God the last 10%, but God said, I have selected, I have appointed the first. Why? Because God wants to be first in our life. He wants to be first in our finances. Here's what happens. If you give God the last 10%, you'll rarely give God the last 10%. Because you'll never have enough. But when you learn, as I have learned in my life and from childhood, that you can put God first and trust him for the rest, you'll always see God provide more than enough in your life. And friends, the tithe, the Bible says, is holy to the Lord. Now, none of you would come in here and eat a breakfast taco on this pulpit, would you? Say no. You're making, you're making me wonder this morning. Now, why wouldn't you do that? Because we know that this is a sacred debt. It's set apart. It's holy unto the Lord. We preach the word of God from this pulpit, and it's holy. And you and I, we go out and we live our life, and we live in a, li a lifestyle of holiness. We don't, we don't uh, uh, go to certain places. We don't do certain things. We don't participate in certain lifestyles because we have set, we've been set apart for holy living. Say amen, somebody. Well, the same thing is with our money. God says, just like this pulpit is set apart for the preaching of the word, and just like your body is set apart for holy living, so the first 10% is set apart for me. It's holy unto the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 says, honor the Lord with your uh, with the tithe, with the first fruit of all your increase. And so when we talk about the law first, we're talking about honoring God first. Putting God first in our financial life. This is a, a law which cannot be violated. And here's what he says in Malachi chapter 3. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And he says, and test me now herewith. The only time God allows you to test him is with the tithe. He says, prove me now herewith, says the Lord, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing which you will not have room enough to receive. Come on, somebody. That's God's return on you and I honoring him and putting him first. Now, if you haven't been doing that in your life and you've been struggling, I want to encourage you to start that today. Make a decision. God, I want to honor you and put you as first in my life. I'm going to give you the place of preeminence, the place that belongs to you. And, you know, there's an example of this in the Bible. It's when the people of Israel were given the promised land, God gave them this entire nation. He said, but the first city, the city of Jericho, that first conquest, a city that was rich and full of minerals and, and gold and silver and precious things, and God said, when I give you that city, when I destroy that city, don't touch any of the riches of that city. They belong to me. What was God saying? You can have the whole nation, but I want that first city. I want, that, I want you to honor me with that first part. And if you will honor me with the first part, I'll give you the whole rest of the land. And they did that, and God gave them the, that city of Jericho, which they consecrated to the Lord. But one of the soldiers in the army, he just couldn't pass it up. Hey, but there's perfectly good treasures in that city. And he went and took some of them, and he hid them in his tent, and he thought, no one will know, no one will care. But God knew, and God cared. And the very next battle they went out to, they were defeated in battle by a smaller army, which should have been easy to defeat. But they were defeated. Because they didn't honor God. Listen, friends, America has to return to this principle. And it begins right here in the house of God. For you and I to say, God will be first in my life. 
God will be first in my thinking. He'll be first in my speech. He'll be first in my money. He'll be first in my time. That's why we come to church on Sunday morning. The first day of the week, we say, God, this time belongs to you. And friends, that is the place to begin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If he's worth being first, give him praise this morning in the house of God. Come on, can you trust God with the first? Of course you can. Now here's another law. It's called the law of contentment. Everyone say contentment. Paul says, I have learned to be content. In whatever state I am in, I have learned to go hungry and to be full. I have learned to have humble means and how to prosper. Now, some of you might have had experience where you grew up and had to learn how to live with humble means. I I, uh, had some experiences in my childhood, uh, and uh, especially on the mission field, where I learned to live with humble means. Uh, There was a time where I slept so often on the floor uh, in my mission travels that when I came home, I couldn't sleep in the bed anymore. It was uncomfortable. And so you can learn to get along with humble means. I heard uh, one of our elders here at the church, he told me one time that well, I, I'm not sure what happened, the power was off or something, and so they, they had to bathe, uh, they had to bucket bathe. And if you've ever had to do that, you understand what, what I'm talking about. Uh, in those showers, you just kind of pull water out of a bucket. And he, he, he provided his son with a, a bucket of warm water, and he heard his son call from the restroom. He said, Dad! He said, what's the matter, son? He said, I don't fit in this bucket. He didn't know how to live with humble means. I've never done this before. But Paul says, I can do it both. I can bucket bathe. I can eat little. I can eat nothing. And I can can, uh, order a fine meal at a nice restaurant. I know how to do both. How many of you know how to do both? Now, here's the key. He said, but I have learned to be content in both. And what's Paul teaching us here? He's saying, look, when you're going through circumstances, and sometimes we go through circumstances of humble means. And he says, when you go through those circumstances, don't turn blue and get sad and think this is the rest of my life, and it's never going to get any better, and God let me down, and I must be cursed, and all of these things. No, no, he says, keep your joy even in the midst of those humble circumstances. This is not forever. Say amen, somebody. Well, you, have, you have to learn how to be content. You say, what does that have to do with receiving God's abundance, God's provision? Well, friends, when we're complaining, when we're, when we're discouraged, when we are, when we are uh, speaking negatively, our faith is low, And we're not in a place to receive anything from God. Everything we receive from God must be received by faith. And so you and I have to learn that even in humble circumstances, to praise God and to celebrate his provision and his faithfulness in our life. And Paul says that when I'm doing well, when I'm prospering, when I'm eating uh, uh, delicacies, when I'm enjoying Fine living, he says, I don't, get, I don't let my head get big and think, oh, look at me. I'm better than everybody else. I have more than everybody else. I make more money than everybody else. Look at me. He says, no, I remember that it was God who allowed me to get to this place. It was God that blessed me. Come on, somebody. You and I have to, have to remember it's God in both circumstances of our life. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. When you and I learn to be content in every state of life, we have gained one of the greatest assets that we can have in this life. Listen, I don't want to tell you to put your children through any uh, difficulties or privation, but I think we are, we're, we're making this generation uh, so used to comforts that uh, discomfort is, uh, is foreign to them. And sometimes it's healthy in life to, to go through a, a little bit of a sting just to understand that there is 
uh, in life the ability to stand firm in every circumstance of life. And that you don't have to lose your joy just because you lost a ball game. You don't have to lose your joy just because uh, you got, a, uh, you got a, a, a smaller paycheck this week. Our God, say amen, our God, he's the ultimate source of our joy. He is the source of all goodness in our life. Our God shall supply all of our needs, amen somebody, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now the key word there is learned. What did Paul say? I have learned to be content. If you haven't learned yet, it's a good time to start learning. Because the, the sooner you learn the attitude of contentment, then you can experience the joy of God. And even when you go to difficult situations, you can see yourself coming out of those places much quicker because your, your attitude is in the place that God can bless. Listen, God won't bless bad attitudes. I lost all my amens. So you got to get your attitude and keep your attitude in a place that God can bless. Listen, you don't take your children to, to ice cream when they're in a bad mood, when they're talking back. God doesn't either. He's looking for the motive of our hearts, the attitude of our hearts. And so he teaches us to, to find contentment. Here's another law, and it is the law uh, that's, I, I'll simply put it like this, avoid debt or avoid indebtedness. Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says that the, root, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, debt is not a sin, all right? So don't feel condemned by what I'm about to say. Debt is not a sin. And there are some, there are some debts that are actually can be beneficial, especially if the thing that you're borrowing for is increasing in value. But America is drowning in consumer debt. America is spending more money than it has as a nation. Governmentally, we're in debt to such an extent that it is impossible to imagine any government of any party that can figure out how to pay down our national debt. We are in serious trouble as a nation why? Because we just keep printing money. And no American household can just keep printing money. All of us know that when you hit zero, uh, you're done. And yet our government keeps printing money in the red. And we as a nation are going to, or our children are going to reap the consequences of that reckless government. And there's not much you can do about that except in how you vote perhaps. But what you can do something about is your own house. Because Americans as a whole are living uh, with loads of household debt. Most, uh, most families uh, live and depend on debt to, to such a degree that they use it for uh, their groceries, they use it for their, uh, their trips to the mall, they use it for their vacations, they use it for their uh, furniture, and almost nothing that some entire households in America have belongs to the people that live there. And here's what the Bible says. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And when you're working every single month just to pay MasterCard and Visa, they have made you their slave. Now listen, God did not send his son Jesus to the cross so that you could be a slave. He sent you so that you could be free and free indeed. And that includes your finances. Say amen, somebody. And listen, that, that burden of debt keeps people in, in uh, fear. It keeps people in bondage. It keeps many people without being able to sleep at night. And so if you're in that place, I want to encourage you that God can bring you out of that place. And that there, are, that there are strategies that you can employ to bring you out. That's not God's best for your life. Now, there was one occasion where a, a couple came to the church. They weren't members here, but they came to the church asking for food. I generally will sit down with people and kind of talk to them a little bit, preach to them if I can, and uh, uh, before I give them anything. And this, on this occasion, 
they, uh, I said, well, what's going on? They said, well, you know, uh, w they were about to repossess our leather couches this morning. And, uh, and so we paid for the couches, but now we don't have any money to eat. And I said, oh, yeah, how much did you pay for the couches? They said, uh, we, we gave them $600. And, you know, my jaw dropped. I almost fell out of my seat. I said, you had $600 this morning, and now you're, you're begging for food for your family? And I know none of you want to be that blunt, right? None of you want to be that honest. But here's the facts. Somebody loved their couches more than feeding their family. And this is a serious problem in a nation. When we think that our possessions are more important than life, and we end up, uh, we end up seeing people who spend on what they want and beg for what they need. This is not God's will for your life. God's will for your life is for you to be financially in a place of peace. You may not be the richest family on the block, but you can be the stable and happiest family on the block because you're a family that honors God. Say amen, somebody. So don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. Well, they got a new car. Now I got to get a new car. They got a new house. Now I got to get a new house. And many people are in debt because they're trying to impress people they don't know and don't even like with things that they don't own. God's people can do better than that. Say amen, somebody. I think I'll leave you alone. I lost all my amens now. The borrower is servant to the lender. And God wants you free. James chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says here, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend on all of your pleasures. Now God says, all right, here's another law. It's called the law of motive. God says, I want to give you unlimited supply of financial resources so that you can do the things that I have called you to do and so that you can join with me in my mission. But many of you, he says, ask and you don't receive because you have the wrong motive. And the motive is to spend it on your own pleasures, to do the things that please you and not the things that please God. I hope there's not anyone in here this morning that is in that situation. I want, it, I want to be very clear about what God's word says so that you don't fall into this trap that God wants us to invest in what he invests in, to love what he loves, to join him in his mission for the world. And he says, if you'll join me in my mission, you won't have any lack in your life. You'll see my provision. You'll see supernatural resources coming into your life. But if you want to squander it and waste it and put it in your own selfish ambition, then you'll be on your own. Listen, God has given us an incredible opportunity to partner with him. This is what he's saying to the Philippians. You have partnered with me. You've joined with me in my need. You have uh, been sending me resources so that I can continue to preach the gospel. Just think about the blessing that would come to the Philippian church. Here we are, 2,000 years later, writing a letter which they funded which their offerings and their giving helped to finance. Imagine the eternal difference that you are making every single time you invest in the kingdom of God, that lives are being changed and hearts are being restored and homes are being mended because you've joined with God in his divine purpose. And when God says, all right, I found me a man, I found me a woman who trusts me enough to invest in my cause and their hands are open I can give them more than they have and that they, could, that they can use in order to advance the kingdom even further. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. You've read this one before. But I want you to look at it again. It says, give and it will be given to you. Let's say that together. Give and it will be given to you. How will it be given? A good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure with which you use, it will be measured back 
to you. Now listen, uh, so you can understand this. Uh, this is an agricultural analogy that Jesus is using. And he says, uh, or he's talking about the uh, laborers in the field. Now if you were being paid by the hour, you would take the basket, fill it half full, and then walk back to where you're going to deposit it. And you do half full so that it's not so heavy. You don't wear yourself out, you know. You got to take it easy. They're paying you by the hour. But Jesus says, around here we don't pay by the hour. We pay by the load. And so what would the worker do? Well, they didn't want to make that many loads, uh, that many trips. So they would, they would take the basket and they would fill it up with a good measure. And then they would press it down. And then they would shake it, make it settle, and then put some more on it so it's overflowing. And now they're carrying that basket over there because they're going to be paid by how many pounds they're getting onto that scale. Are you following me? And so Jesus says, this is how it's going to be given to you. Give, and it shall be given. If you give love, love will be given. If you give hate, hate will be given. That's the law of the giver. How will it be given? Pressed down, shaken together, running over. But if you give generously, if you give to God's cause, if you invest in the kingdom of God, if you support the work that he's doing in the world, if you show yourself to be open-hearted and having a good motive, God says, I will give to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Say amen, somebody. Now here's what he says. He says that this will be done, and he uses this, port, uh, this, uh, this word, and he says, they will pour into your lap. He said, uh, it, it, and this will be uh, poured into your lap. Someone is going to do this. Here's what I want you to understand. This is an important part of this principle, that God says someone is going to pour into your lap. He didn't say who. Often the place where you sow is not the place where you reap. Many times you give here and you reap here. And here's what God wants us to understand. He says they will pour. That means ultimately the one sending them is God. Not the person you gave to. But God will send the people into your life. He will send resources into your life. He might send uh, miracles into your life, but somehow God will cause things to be poured into your lap that will satisfy the need that you have. Now here's the reason he wants this. He says, look, I don't want you to look at the person you gave to as your source. Oh, well, I lent I, I a $1,000 to, to Johnny. And look at Johnny going on vacation, hasn't paid me yet. Y'all all had that thought one, one day, didn't you? And then you're at Thanksgiving and you can't even chew your turkey. So there's Johnny eating like he paid for this. And God says, you know what your problem is? You, you think Johnny's your source. Johnny's not your source. I'm your source. I'm sorry for every Johnny in here this morning. That's just the name that, that I use. They're not your source. I'm your source. You sow there, and you're going to reap over here. So if you give to the poor, don't watch the poor to see if they give it back. You watch God because he is the, the owner, and he is the provider, and he is the supplier of all of your needs. That's why Paul says... He says, my God, not, not me, not I, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. What can God do for you? You know, in one night, the Israelites received 400 years of back pay from slavery. One night. They walked out of, of Egypt filthy rich. What can God do for you? Here's what he said. He said, I will restore to you the years 
that the canker worm and the locust has eaten. I'll restore the things you've lost. What can God do for you? One widow was down to her last bread cake, and she was going to eat it with her son and die. But a man of God showed up and said, bring me a bread cake first. And she said, as the Lord lives, is the last little bit of flour and the last little bit of oil I have. And we're going to eat this and die. And he said, all right, you do that. But first bring me a bread cake. And as she was going in obedience to the voice of the man of God, the, the man of God said, and the flour will not will not go dry, neither will the cruise of oil dry until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she brought that man of God a bread cake. And when she went back in that kitchen to clean out the bowl, it was full of flour again. And the cruise had oil in it again. What can God do for you? And the Bible says, and she ate, and her son ate, and the prophet ate, Three years, come on somebody, until the day that the Lord sent rain upon the earth. You know what she did? She, she, she had a shift. She went from the mindset that thought, there's only enough for me and my son. She shifted from that to thinking, there's enough for me and my son and God. And when she brought God into that situation, all of a sudden, her not enough became more than enough. Her death became life, and her home became a place of blessing. Come on, somebody. That's God's will and desire for your life. Come on, what can God do for you? My God shall supply all of your needs. Now, here's what Paul says. Verse 18, he says, I have received everything in full. God wants you to be full. I have an abundance. God wants you to have an abundance. He says, I am amply supplied. These are three words I want you to take home. Invest them in your heart. Full, abundant, fully supplied.